Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers with your host, Peggy Smedley. This is ConExpo ConAg Radio, brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. I'm your host, Peggy Smedley. Today, we're going to be talking all about advances in transportation infrastructure. And there's a lot happening in the space, so we have much to talk about today. But first, I want to remind you to subscribe to our 365 e-newsletter. And this can help you stay up to date on technologies and trends impacting construction. So there's a lot to think about there. And, and if you think mostly what's happening in the space right now, we've been writing about survey technology, safety, bridge construction methods, and so much more. And you can do that by visiting conexpoconag.com slash subscribe. And on this show, we're going to be discussing transportation and its impact on the construction infrastructure market. And the major transportation infrastructure projects are being planned is changing at a very rapid pace. And if you think about it today, technologies are transforming how construction projects are delivered. And this includes computer-aided design, geographic information systems, and civil integrated modeling. And we will be talking all about these technologies on the show today. So for on this podcast, we're going to kind of narrow in on the transportation construction, including railways, roads, bridges, and what's to come in these new technological advances. And that means we will take a deeper look at how transportation construction is changing with the help of new technology and digital transformation. And as always, we have a fantastic guest who will join us for this topic. So please join me in welcoming Terry Bills, who's the Global Industry Manager at Esri. Terry, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Peggy. It's great to be here. So, Terry, I know there's a lot happening in this space, and I guess what I would love for you to do is maybe just give us a, a brief overview of your impressions of what's really happening when we think about transportation or, more importantly, transportation infrastructure projects and what's really out there, because there's been some major changes in the way we see them, and I think of the way they're being planned, the way they're being delivered, and I think that's a really big question to start with, but there's really a lot going on right now. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, there is indeed. I guess uh, the way that I would characterize the sort of large uh, large change in the industry is really the move to uh, what's called BIM, uh, building information modeling, or in the infrastructure transportation in the SIM, civil integrated modeling. Um, and really what it is is, um, I guess, the, the concept of ensuring that digital information becomes a part of the deliverables for each stage of the infrastructure life cycle and that the information that's uh, generated from one stage is, is seamlessly passed to the subsequent stages. Um, the British government uh, has defined uh, BIM and SIM as a collaborative way of working underpinned by the digital technologies which unlock more efficient methods of designing, creating, and maintaining our assets. And in fact, in, in Europe, I think they're in some ways, uh, they're perhaps a little bit further ahead. There are a number of government mandates, both in the UK and in Germany and increasingly in other European countries that really mandate that for major infrastructure projects, uh, that 
these processes really have to be followed. Um, sometimes in the U.S., we speak of it as a VDC, virtual design and construction, and it's, again, really sort of focused on how do we realize the efficiencies that can be gained from a more seamless flow of information from stage to stage throughout the planning, design, construction, and operational stages of the life cycle. Let's talk a little bit about what you just initially said. We've talked a lot on this show about BIM, which is building information modeling, which you talked about, is more of the collaboration. But you've now just talked about SIM, which is this extension of BIM, more of the geometric 3D kind of world. Walk us through that for our listeners who might not be familiar with that and what that really means, because I think that's new to a lot of them, and maybe new and maybe not to some others. Walk us through what that means and how that's going to change the face when we see 3D continue to advance and VDC, as you mentioned. I think there's this evolution, and I think now as we start going on more and we talk about AI and, and machine learning, we start coupling all these other technologies into what advances, I think a lot more the Internet of Things and, and how all this plays into the world, I think a lot more is going to change, and I would suspect you would agree. Yes, indeed. So, um, you know, I think the, the underpinning uh, BIM and SIM is really the move to 3D, uh, both planning and design technologies. Um, so if we think of the infrastructure life cycle, typically we start in the planning. And so uh, in many cases, the initial planning and concept studies are done uh, increasingly now with 3D, uh, quite often GIS uh, tools. And this allows the project to be visualized in its contextual setting uh, and any other information such as environmental constraints, terrain, and other features can be analyzed and understood. And the ability to pre-analyze any environmental issues is, is uh, <laughs> critically important for both highway and rail agencies, and it ensures that they don't really have any unpleasant discoveries as they move through the development process. And then as we really move into the design process, um, you know, we have the ability to uh, have very accurate 3D terrain data, quite often taken from LIDAR. Um, and in turn, that's fed into uh, a number of, uh, whether it's Bentley's Inroads or Autodesk InfraWorks and AutoCAD 3D, but the ability to have greater precision in the design and by doing that, we now have the ability to do clash detection, and we have greater constructability of, of the final designs. Um, so, for example, um, one of the State Departments of Transportation that we work with, the Utah DOT, uh, actually collected LIDAR and 360-degree digital video of their entire state highway system. And this data was so accurate, it was uh, two centimeters or better accuracy across the entire state. So uh, while they didn't start off planning this, they now actually can use that information literally to do preliminary design work. Uh, 
and much is the same with each of the Class One railroads. They've actually collected uh, high-precision LIDAR data for their entire track networks, uh, initially for PTC purposes, but now they're discovering a wide range of new uses for the data. So we really are moving to a 3D world, both through uh, for for planning, for design, and even really as we move into uh, uh, operations and maintenance. What you just described when you talked about planning to concept to development to design, the terrain you just went, and all the way to class detection, really what you designed is a whole new partner network with using technology that maybe in the past we used but not quite intimately like we're using today. It sounds like that we're being able to use technology to such detail and information that we're able to see things to such precision we've never seen before. Yeah, that that's correct. And and I think what it's really bringing about is a much greater collaborative process so that uh on the design side they actually talk about uh BIM pits that is that we bring together the various design elements uh, the contractors that are responsible for those, and they really engage in that clash detection so that we can identify any, any issues up front. We can deconflict those issues. And as I said, the end result is really a much greater, uh, constructability of, of the final design. What's actually given to the final contractor, um, is, generally uh, can be built as as is, and we have many, many fewer change orders. And there's a greater collaboration, really, from the planning to the design side as well as we move back and forth with information uh, in these different software platforms. And I think that the, the real promise is the ability to save a great deal of time, uh, save effort, and ultimately uh, make the process much more uh, efficient and cost-effective. Is there going to be a difference between what types of technologies you see changing the way, let's say, highway and railway industries are using, or will they be similar? Because there's different needs, but it sounds like the end result is very similar. Will there be differences or no? Um. Well, I think there's uh, certainly, again, the, both uh, uh, the major vendors are really putting a great deal of emphasis on the on both accuracy as well as on the three dimension, uh, and I think that um, in a certain sense, there really is, in some ways, a a greater conversion, uh, so that um, we at Esri have actually announced a partnership with with Autodesk to help make the uh, process of moving information back and forth between our two software platforms much more seamless. Uh, we'll do the same thing uh, with Bentley as well. So I think that there's there's really been a push. Um, largely driven from our joint customer side to really make this process much easier to be able to share information, to use the best of each other's software platforms, uh, really to enrich that that overall process of of planning and design and and construction. So I I really, in a certain sense, I, I see a convergence among 
many of the major uh, software platforms. One of the things we've been talking a lot about is the Internet of Things and the use of sensors to be used in rail, to be used in transportation, to be used in the roads and bridges and all the things we're talking about. How is that trend actually going to impact the industry that we're talking about, and and how will that actually change with all these other solutions that you're talking about, and will it enrich them, and will it give more information in real time unlike ever before? Yeah, certainly, and I do think uh, we're simultaneous to these changes in the way that we plan and we design. We're also, um, I guess we would, you could say we're digitizing or sensorizing uh, much of our environment. So on the highway side, for example, um, highway agencies are, are embedding and installing a wide number of sensors, everything from temperature and water, but also really even pavement uh, condition. Um, the same is true on the rail side as well, that we're um, putting more and more sensors on, on our trains, um, and we're actually able to monitor uh, in real time uh, really the condition uh, of how are the locomotives, what's the locomotive health, what's the track uh, condition. And as we're able to bring all of that information together, it gives us a much better and much more realistic real-time picture really of our of our infrastructure um, in rail uh, certainly the the big push is to uh, be able to use uh, big data and artificial intelligence techniques to really pull in a great deal of track test results uh, and really to be able to look at and to do predictive maintenance uh, rather than reactive. So that how do we monitor and how do we predict precisely when we need to be able to maintain our infrastructure? And I think many of those same trends are playing out on the highway side as well. So if we think about the sensors that are being installed on bridges and and throughout the highway, again, it's really the the goal is how do we how do we develop a real time view not only of the condition but also of the health of our infrastructure so that proactive approach that's that's occurring with all of this is actually again helping to make projects be completed faster but it's also ensuring the health of all of the roads bridges highways everything we're talking about being built in in a more safer way that we're talking about going forward. It, it is indeed. And I think there's been a um, a recognition uh, among U.S. and really worldwide infrastructure agencies that we need to be, we need to do a better job of really maintaining our assets and maintaining our infrastructure. Uh, and that's recognized that both under federal legislation, the state departments of transportation need to uh, demonstrate that they actually have a transportation asset management plan uh, that really looks at risk factors. So what is the risk of failure? What's the consequence of failure? Uh, I think you're seeing the same movement among rail agencies, uh, really trying to adopt best 
practice in asset and maintenance management practices, and those are really pushing them in the direction of of um, predictive uh, maintenance and how do we better monitor and how do we better preserve our infrastructure so that we can prolong and preserve the life of uh, of of that infrastructure. Terry, it raises this question as you were talking. How does that change? Because it's a big problem we're having in construction right now, looking at our workforce, because we're going to come up with the shortfall of over 2 million. We have this younger generation that doesn't want to get into construction. We're trying to change that. We're trying to show them construction's not, you know, this old, dirty, grungy industry. It's a really educated, sophisticated industry now. And you just described it. When we're talking about SIM, we're talking about BIM, we're talking about LIDAR, we're talking about all these things, we're talking about what you guys are doing at Esri. It's a very sophisticated industry, but are we actually going to be able to have the right skill set to be able to do the things that we need to do to be able to make sure our railroads, our, our transportation systems in general, the infrastructure is going to have the right skill set to support all these new technologies that you're just describing when we are, are struggling right now, I think we're going to need this new workforce to be able to manage all this great technologies you're talking about. Right. I think that's an excellent question. And I actually serve on a task force uh, put together by USDOT to, to really look at precisely those issues, that we have a huge cohort, sort of the baby boom generation that is retiring all within the next five to seven years. And I think there's a great concern that we're not seeing the uh, the number of workers backfilling. And I think the, the real question is that though the skill sets that are going to be required are much different than what they were in the past. There's a much greater emphasis on technology, whether it's everything from survey uh, to how we collect the data now increasingly through LIDAR, both um, mobile and, and airborne LIDAR systems, uh, new survey techniques, um, all the way through different types of planning technologies that we use, different design tools that we use, and, and even the, really the construction of our infrastructure is becoming much, much more automated. That doesn't mean that necessarily there's not a need for workers, but it's a much different skill set that we need in the workers uh, as we move forward. And I, I, I think there's a, again, there, among the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation, there's a real concern about how are we going to um, uh, train those workers, how are we going to identify, and, and workers that, that typically haven't been in the workforce in the past. So how do we, how do we uh, develop uh, a larger number of, of women engineers. How do we how do we bring in uh, uh, minorities and, and other populations that and really train them for these uh, new jobs of the future? And I think that that's really the challenge that uh, that we have in front of us. And when we look at that right now, it will part of the challenge be able to say that we have to look at what these new technologies are. But that these technologies are not only just how to train that skill set, but actually how to look at this from a whole cost efficiency perspective. Because I think it's not only will these 
the skilled workforce be able to have to go to college because some of them don't. And that's part of our challenge when we look at the workforce. But it's also being able to let them understand that this technology that we have is changing the way job sites or infrastructure when we have our workers on there is, is giving them insights into information in real time. So you're seeing efficiencies different than you ever did before. So now we're getting efficiencies differently and being able to manage those benefits are changing as well. So those workers that are on the jobs and those that are retiring and new people coming in are going to have to get information differently. And it's how they manage that right information, not all the information. And, and we talk a lot about that information for information's sake doesn't help, but it's knowing the right information to make the right decisions. That's also a key part of all of this when we talk about all this technology, right? Yeah, that that's exactly right. And and I guess I, sh- I should point out, I, I really think that these new jobs really are going to be much better jobs, uh, but they really are, um, they are focused on, on better management, better utilization of, of information. As you say, ultimately, how do we make better decisions, more cost-effective decisions? Um, there was a study a few years back by the National Institute of Standards and Technology that really looked at uh, some of the potential savings uh, that if we take our information systems and if we better manage our information from the beginning uh, of the project life cycle through the life cycle, and really they identified some quite significant savings, potential savings. Um, they, their estimate was that we could potentially reduce the project delivery time by at least 20%, uh, again, by this integrated information approach, uh, and that that same approach could save up to 14% of the overall O&M costs. So that would roughly be uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10% of the total project cost. So these are quite significant savings. Uh, but again, it presupposes that we take very seriously this notion of integrated information management, I guess what, what I call whole life cycle information management. And that's really the challenge. And I think that's the transition that we're going through now as we make these um, software platforms more interoperable uh, and as we train workers in terms of how to use these technologies, how to better manage the information that they produce, and ultimately I do think that those will result in quite significant cost efficiencies. And and really the, our goal at ESRI is how do we assist these agencies in making better decisions? I think that's the end result of, of much of much of this uh, push. Terry, I probably should have asked this in the beginning because when we define what is infrastructure, and I know everybody gets confused about critical infrastructure and infrastructure, and there's a big difference on that. Define just infrastructure for us when we're really talking about what we need to look at when rail and transportation, um, for listeners who want to separate the two, because you and I know that, but for someone listening so they can separate the two aspects of it. Right. So, so I think when we typically speak of infrastructure and the transportation side, and I, I do work across, uh, all the modes in transportation, uh, on the roadway, we're really talking about sort of our, our roads, our bridges, uh, and a whole host of other assets that are, 
revolve around that. We're increasingly moving to intelligent transportation systems. That really is also part of our transportation infrastructure. On the rail side, we're undergoing a, a significant transformation as the class ones actually have to move to positive train control systems. And that, that also changes that infrastructure. Um, airports and ports, um, we have a huge need in the U.S. to, to really, um, rebuild and, and refurbish our infrastructure and to build new infrastructure. Um, I don't know of a single airport uh, in the U.S. Or, or worldwide that isn't undergoing a capital improvement program to really expand the terminal, expand the runways, uh, expand their infrastructure. We need to have that same uh, expansion uh, on the highway side, uh, on the rail side, and our ports as well. Uh, we're the lar- world's largest economy, and unfortunately, we don't always have the infrastructure that we need to help support and really make our supply chains as efficient as they possibly could be. Uh, and if we did that, we would actually help drive down uh, our costs and improve our competitiveness worldwide. But it really does all depend on, and I, sometimes I don't think we realize how important some of those, that, that infrastructure really is. Here in Southern California, we have the ports of, of LA and Long Beach and some, something on the order of about 40% of the containerized traffic, uh, imports into the U.S. come through those two ports. Uh, it's a huge, critically important piece of, of infrastructure uh, that has not only regional but, but national importance. Uh, and I don't think we always recognize how important uh, our infrastructure really is to our economic competitiveness and the cost of our goods, not only nationally but internationally as well. So looking at this right now, I clearly hearing you, and I know when we got the report card on infrastructure, you know, getting a D, a D minus isn't very good in the rating. But looking at it, I would take it then you see our current infrastructure market needing an overhaul for sure. Going forward, how long of a process? It's an ongoing process then. I would take it that you're looking at that uh, and we were seeing that and it needs to undergo that. Is it something that we constantly have to focus on? I mean, we always see that in road construction, right? We're always seeing everything's always in the summer under construction, and that's good for our industry. But in general, what do we need to do? I mean, it's just something we haven't taken seriously enough to say we need to invest more in infrastructure. It's just not enough. And so are we saying that we need to really start investing more, that it needs to be public, private partnerships. I mean, there just needs to be more focus on just the overall current infrastructure that we have in the market in the United States. Right. I I think for some time in the U.S., we have underinvested in our infrastructure. And and when I look at some of the international comparisons, for example, in China, um, they have been investing between 8 and 9% of GDP uh, annually on, on infrastructure. Um, even in Canada to the north, they uh, invest uh, more than 4% of GDP on infrastructure. 
conversely, we in the U.S. are, are investing uh, less than 2% and, and really down around 1.5%. Uh, for for all the talk of infrastructure and and in the political arena we're actually we're at the one of the lowest actual infrastructure spins um in the last uh 60 70 years so we've been underinvesting in in infrastructure we we definitely need to up the the amount of our infrastructure spend and i think that that's going to need to come in many different uh ways you you mentioned uh public private partnerships certainly uh for certain types of infrastructure assets i think that that's uh entirely appropriate um other types uh probably are not going to be met through necessarily public uh private partnerships but the larger message is that we need to invest significantly more uh and we need to invest uh in a much smarter way uh i i think it's nice that there's a great deal of discussion of infrastructure you know unfortunately i don't think that we're really seeing that translate to uh additional dollars or or actual uh, infrastructure spend yet and i think that that really needs to be a, a national conversation we've we've let our infrastructure uh degrade uh, significantly and we really need to to reinvest and and it really is part of our economic development strategy that uh, um if you look back at the at the 50s and building the the interstate system that had a huge impact on the US economy and US competitiveness and unfortunately uh those investments are really reaching uh, uh the end of their life cycle and we need to we need to renew that type of an investment and infrastructure spending uh to further our economic development and our economic competitiveness and and I do hope that that uh uh in the next several years we'll will actually come to uh translating that into policy actions I have to tell you, Terry, it's been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed hearing you talk about what we need to do because I think you're right on on the mark with that. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, happy to be here. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Peggy. So Terry Bills, Global Transportation Industry Manager for Esri. Again, thank you so much. You know, the trend towards sensorization, digitalization of transportation, you know, it's happening right now. But what I really enjoyed most about hearing is the investment that needs to be made in transportation. Hopefully, we gave you some insights about what the workforce requirements of all of these new technologies as well is going to need to be happening and just the general investment that needs to be made in transportation. So thank all of you for listening today because this is all the time we have for our show and all the information. So we want you to stay up to date on all these technologies and trends impacting the construction industry by subscribing to our 365 e-newsletter. And you can do that by visiting conexpoconag.com slash subscribe. So thank you for tuning in to Conexpo Conag Radio, brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers.